Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence. Hello and welcome to Series 2, Episode 6 of Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence's Compliance Clarified podcast. My name is Susanna Hammond and I'm Senior Regulatory Intelligence Expert here at TRRI. Now, today I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Mike Cowan and Rachel Walcott to discuss data governance. Now, data governance covers an exceedingly wide range of issues and is coming to the fore now as firms and regulators alike are moving away from spreadsheets, which have been used for really quite some time, and are increasingly automating. Post-pandemic, the focus on automation and digital transformation is only going to increase. And with that increasing automation comes new and potentially significant data risks, hence the need for data governance. Now, it may be stating the entirely obvious, but the proper functioning of trading, reporting, and indeed risk management is critically dependent on the security, accuracy, timeliness, and integrity of data. Data risk comes in a broad range of shapes and sizes and depends on the specifics of an organization, how it manages its technology and its framework for governing data. Now, there are a range of sources of data risk for firms, and that's not just for firms, but also for their compliance officers to consider. And those then in turn inform the best and best fit approach to data governance. Now, just to set the scene, a high level snapshot would probably include business continuity and operational risk, where there's often a dependence on critical data sources. And if you lose those, significant loss of capability is likely to follow. Security and confidentiality risk, in other words, you get hacked or you don't have effective controls, you again lose data that you or access to data you probably are relying on. Commercial trading risk, where both the humans and the machines rely on accurate data in order to receive, uh, achieve the optimal outcomes. Aggregate exposure risk, and that's where data pertaining to risk positions in different parts of the firm can't be aggregated because they're not all in the right place at the right time. And then you can't track as a firm your exposures or indeed report to regulators, which is my next point. Regulatory enforcement risk. If you don't get the data governance right, you really have very little chance of being able to meet your reporting obligations to various regulators. Then perhaps a little more esoteric, but certainly still fundamental, are the ownership and rights risk with regard to data, where you can have ambiguity and misunderstanding over commercial rights. And that means you don't understand necessarily who owns which bit of data and how you can use it. And then last but not least, security and conduct risk resulting from inadequate controls over permissions for access to and manipulation of data, which can lead to all sorts of opportunities for misconduct. Now, that was quite a shopping list of ways in which data risk and hence data governance needs to arise. So, Rachel, from that absolute shopping list of myriad issues, what are you seeing and where for the need for better data governance? Hi, Susanna. Hi, Mike. Well, I I think I've got a shopping list response for you. Unfortunately, there's no kind of uh, distilled answer here, but it's it's, uh, clear that data governance and data quality, which is part of data governance, is an issue uh, at banks, not just small ones, but 
big, globally, systemically important banks. And what we're seeing is the persistence of this, uh, what they call the GIGO effect, which is garbage in, gospel out, which is pretty self-explanatory and was behind a lot of the problems that we had in the 2008-2009 financial crisis when banks were struggling to assess their counterparty credit risk uh, get and get a decent picture of their balance sheets. Uh, that uh, pointed to uh, shortcomings in their ability to aggregate risk data and synthesize it into anything particularly meaningful. And we've had some recent uh, instant uh, regulatory uh, feedback and uh, incident uh, market incidents that show that's still the case. In terms of market incidents, I'm thinking about the Archegos capital management blow up. In the kind of mainstream press, a lot of that uh, coverage focused on use of uh, total return swaps and you know, potential market abuse. But, you know, for those of us who have been in this game for a while, it looked like a pretty much straight up uh, risk management problem that caused a lot of uh, big losses at all these various uh, big trading banks, um, which speaks to the fact that either they've got risk management in place that's good, but they're not looking at it, or they don't have risk good risk management in place, and they don't have good data to see what's going on, and they're not ex assessing their market risk very well. Um, in response to the 2008 crisis, you know, one of the responses obviously was that uh, regulatory capital buffers were increased uh, and I feel like that has been the saving grace for a lot of banks recently as we've been going through the COVID crisis because performance on risk uh, data aggregation and reporting uh, data governance hasn't been great. And that's, like I said, has been highlighted uh, in a few recent regulatory actions. Um, so what have regulators had to say about data quality, integrity, and governance? Let's start close to home for us here in the UK. Uh, the PRA, which is the Prudential Regulation Regulatory Authority, sent out a Dear CEO letter in late 2019 on the subject of the reliability of regulatory returns. And just to pull one quote out of there, they said, examples of errors in regulatory reporting have further underlined the need for appropriate investment in both the integrity of data and the ability to process them accurately. Uh, when I've been reporting on this for regulatory intelligence, we found that the PRA has been issuing banks with uh, skilled persons reviews, uh, quite a few of them in the financial year 2020-21, covering risk management and governance. Uh, they've Shortly after the 
uh, October 2019 Dear CEO letter, City, you know, one of the biggest of the big GSIBs, received a 44 million pound fine, fine from the PRA, <laughs> which pointed to mistakes in its regulatory capital and liquidity capital ratio reportings dating back to 2015. It faulted the bank for inadequate systems and controls with regard to reporting, inadequate staffing levels, poor governance, and ineffective approach to uh, basically understanding reporting requirements. So data was a big problem here. Uh, City last year had another 20, sorry, in 2020 had a 400 million pound or million dollar fine, sorry, from the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency which also issued a cease and desist order requiring the bank to take broad and comprehensive corrective actions to improve risk management, data governance, and internal controls. So there we have it. Uh, just to go quickly on to some work that's been do done by the ECB. Now, they, in April this year, published their report on their targeted return, uh, re targeted review of internal models. Now, you say, what does this have to do with data? Uh, a lot of this work, which was pretty intensive, it covered 200 on-site internal model investigations at 65 significant institutions in the EU. So it's huge work. It started in 2016, I think I said. It just concluded with the publication of the report in 20 uh, earlier this year, April. And obviously this is looking at these internal models that banks use to gauge credit risk, uh, market risk, calculate uh, capital requirements, etc. A lot of the uh, ECB had a lot to say about data quality and I'll just pick out um, some of the uh, things because there was a lot so here one of the quotes was although institutions have made efforts to ensure there are sound data management and quality frameworks in place some important areas still need to be amended or adapted to ensure compliance with requirements on data quality and management these areas include data quality monitoring internal control aka governance and the allocation of roles and responsibilities relating to data management. They found a lot of shortcomings around data management and data quality processes. They said they were often of high severity. Uh, they found these in the retail and SME uh, portfolio credit risks uh, functions and models and also uh, more worryingly in the market risk. Uh, they said, pointed to IT uh, shortcomings as a prominent problem uh, related to systems, database, transformation of data and aggregation processes. Uh, just lots. These shortcomings included weaknesses in the IT infrastructure documentation and issues regarding the soundness, safety, and security of the systems of databases. So I think going back to your list, uh, <laughs> Susanna, 
they pretty much everything's on there that the regulators are finding. Mm. Uh, um, I just want to, I think that pretty much says it all because the, well, These not are... necessarily, Rachel, because I, I have a shopping list as well. But please, come, please finish off your point. Go on. Well, I just, I mean, I didn't mean it in the say that says it all, but I mean, in terms of problems with data governance, it's the, it's pretty clear the regulators are on the case. They know about it. Uh, in terms of, there's some serious and fundamental risk management. Uh, functions within banks, you know, this is a quite a big deal, and at least the and the regulators are willing to spend a lot of time and money uh, digging into this. One of the things the ECB said is that they expect these problems to be fixed, and I I, I don't know if they're going to do another review of Trim, like Trim, but. They do have an appetite for these long haul deep dives uh, that are across across institute across institutions, which is something we don't really see here in the UK or in the US. You know, as a, sort of a kind of a program of work. Uh, we'll we'll see what they have to say in the coming years. But anyway, that I think <laughs> I don't have a, a lot to add. <laughs> There. And, and in, in truth, I think all I'm going to do is underline some of the things that, you, that you've said. But actually, um, um, the, the analogy of shopping, this is quite good because I have a bill. I have a total bill for this, for all of this as well. The magic number, which I'll come on to in a minute, is 272.5 million euros. I'll leave you to, 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 to ponder that for them for the moment. But from a shopping list perspective, just let me underline some of the things that I think uh, Susanna and Rachel have already covered. But, you know, um, cultural and operational issues around data, I think we've, we've, we've touched on this. There are a plethora of these. Um, data isn't seen as an exciting, or hasn't historically been seen as an exciting management challenge. And therefore, you know, there, there is potentially a lack of leadership or a tendency to put the wrong person in the wrong position with regards to data governance. And that then undermines the way that the, the, the organization understands, supports, and values the, the data that they're, that they're using. And there's a need to accept that embedding change uh, to provide sound data governance is difficult, perhaps even painful, but the, but, you know, the experience when the firm does not fully buy into the concepts and benefits associated with the correct approach you know, you know, it's it's particularly damaged um, when things aren't taken seriously at board or or, or people level. You know, budgets may be limited, um, and documentation around how uh, historic data procedures um, 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 may be weak, which then impinges on the way forward. I think that uh, Rachel touched on 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 technology and and in particular legacy systems. Uh, existing systems, uh, existing technology, the hardware and the software, restrict the ability of firms to process that data in the way that perhaps new regulations are requiring, or, or if not the regulatory requirement, best practice is requiring. Um, and the issues aren't confined to the hardware and software, but also perhaps the, the structure of the data within firms. It's, it's quite, you know, historically when uh, data protection, data governance wasn't taken as seriously as maybe it is today, 
you know, that data is unstructured, difficult to retrieve, difficult to categorize. Um, and that poses a significant challenge for, for firms. Third party services, we've already touched on um, around outsourcing the management of data into the cloud. Um, cyber resilience, again, um, the security of the data is a key principle within data governance. Um, data breaches and unauthorized disclosure of confidential information are on the rise. Again, I'll come on to that in a minute. And have um, and firms have to have the confidence in any system that that it's going to protect the data um, to potential um, you know um, unauthorized disclosure. Now I said I, I, I teased you with two hundred and seventy two point five million euros. Well, um, the the law firm DLA Piper um, have actually totaled up all of the uh, fines that um, uh, the European regulators have made under the GDPR. Um, and that's the 27 union members plus the UK, Norway, Iceland and Liechtenstein for uh, clarity. Now, bef um, now, I have to say that we're sort of celebrating today and you guys may not appreciate this, but we're sort of celebrating that GDPR, it was three years old uh, at the end of May. I know it's not a significant one, but but nevertheless, three years of GDPR is, is you know, when we when it was all coming in and when everybody thought it would never happen, you know, a number of years back, we're three years into it now. But anyway, so it's two hundred and seventy two point five million million euros worth of fines of which now. And these don't include the, the, the examples that Rachel um, 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 has suggested um, that the regulators have have fined uh, firms for poor data governance. But we've got fines at Google, which was, I think was top of the shops, albeit, you know, I think that was 2019. Uh, so they had 50 million euros um, uh, through the French courts. Uh, Google actually had a poor year in 2020 because they were actually um, fined 7 million also by the Swedish Data, uh, data Protection Authority. So, um, uh, so Google, uh, not top of the shops here, uh, or are top of the shops, but are not top of the shops in good behavior. H&M, uh, the clothing firm, they were 35 million through the German courts for data breaches. Uh, and in fact, their one was quite interesting because they had GDPR violations, which involved uh, the monitoring of several hundred employees. Um, and after the, so for example, after the employees took a vacation or sick, sick leave, they were required to attend a return to work meeting. These meetings were recorded and then they, they were accessible to over 50 H&M managers, apparently. So, you know, uh, and they got fined significantly for that. And I think uh, they also had to pay uh, compensation to the some of the employees for that breach as well. Uh, I, I and you can so. add into Absolutely. that mix now IKEA France, where not only is IKEA France being heavily fined for spying, I think the phrase actually was, on its employees, but the, the manager of IKEA France has been fined personally. Wow. Um, so data Indeed. governance of a different sort in that sense. Indeed. I mean, I'll finish the shopping list, our shopping list, um, with two UK examples, which is British Airways, 22 million, um, and the Marriott Hotels for misuse of their uh, customer data, 20.4 million. Uh, obviously, all these are in euros. So I suppose the bottom line of this section is that... Um, uh, there is significant risk, there is significant difficulties with data governance, but to get it wrong is um, is uh, quite costly. I would add into the, the costly part that the 
find not mentioned by Michael from the ICO, the Information Commissioner's Office here in the UK, is the one on Experian. Now, yes. Experian won't actually find any money, Yet. but they were required to change their business model. And I would suggest that is going to be way more expensive for them than any fine pretty much a regulator could have imposed. In, in addition to that, Experian are expected to change their business model really in a pretty tight time frame. And if they don't manage it, there is the threat of the biggest fine possible still hanging over them. So they got their data governance in the view of the ICO, badly wrong. They were misusing the the information they had collected. So it's not just GDPR, it, it's wider than that. It's how you use data for your business model. And Experian were found to be on the wrong side of that and are, have been absolutely and fundamentally required to change their business model. Agree. And I think something for our listeners to bring home the Experian point is that as uh, firms are seeking to uh, use more automation, they will be, you know, increasingly collecting uh, customer data, potentially using that for marketing purposes, or selling marketing. That's the same thing. They need to be really careful about it. And a lot of the fines that we've seen in the UK for IT failures have had data breach elements to it. I mean, on banks. So, uh, you know, for example, TSB, they haven't been fined yet, but uh, when they had their IT meltdown a few years ago, there was a data breach associated with that. There was a huge uptick in fraud. Uh, and I think this happens quite regularly. One thing, uh, Mike, that you mentioned when we were discussing this was open banking and this idea of data sharing amongst institutions. I think we've got some that nicely fits into what we were just talking about in terms of uh, the customer data governance. Yeah, um, open banking, um, um, as you know, Rachel, is is the model whereby uh, data is shared using using APIs. Um, um, I mean, the, the, it, it's 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 close cousin is open finance, which refers to the extension of that to to the other financial products, such as insurance and pensions and what have you. Um, and yeah, firms are, are seeing significant benefits through open banking, albeit. It's probably only small in a relatively small way, uh, started in a relatively small way at the moment. But they're seeing some um, major benefits from that. Um, you know, increased revenues, improved customer experiences, uh, the ability to extend financial services into uh, otherwise untapped markets. Um, so, uh, but nevertheless, uh, the, the, um, the concept of having uh, your own customer data um, available to firms that um, that you um, personally weren't doing any business with, uh, well, not directly, is um, is quite a scary thought, and one it, it one that um, that the uh, the banking community needs to uh, manage uh, very carefully. Um, I suppose I mean that, you, that brings me on to a, a load of other stuff because you, you know. Um, uh, I mentioned that GDPR, you know, three years old and all that, and, it, and it's, it's amazing how time flies, really, because it only seems like yesterday that, that we here in the UK were in, were introducing the first Data Protection Act in 1984. 
Uh, and I know that's showing my age, but hey, that's 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 the fact of it. Um, but since then, there's literally been a world of change. I mean, open banking um, being the uh, the problem, probably it's a prime example at the moment, to be honest, of, of how things have changed. But back then, data was seen as something of a backwater. We've, all, we've sort of already touched on this point. Um, so when it came to operational priorities, you know, the use of data in the 80s probably wasn't the top of everybody's list. Um, and it very much felt like the management of, of, of data in, in that time was something that we were doing for the, for the archive. So keeping customer data for future contact, records not necessarily for operational use, but, but to record the decisions of the day or for posterity, very much felt like something that we were doing for um, as a custodian, maybe, of, of, of the data. And whereas the attitude to, to data now has very much changed, and I think, again, Rachel touched on this, is that, um, you know, there's a very much a shift towards using data uh, as an asset, as something that can be um, um, leveraged for financial gain. Um, um, okay, there's still, uh, there's still some traits remaining of, of, of the custodian type era, but nevertheless, firms are more and more looking at de as data as an asset, as something that potentially they can sell or develop some, some form of leverage around. Open banking is probably the greatest um, 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 uh, example of, of why, of the sort of drive to, 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 this to this use. But there are other things, you know, development of social media and, and the social media platforms, allowing data to be used in far more flexible and... Uh, innovative ways than we than, than we had before and you know uh, financial services firms are promoting financial products through this these days uh, chat rooms are providing a basis for uh, investors to have more maybe informal discussions about about the types of stocks and shares that they wish to invest in I mean we've got the push to artificial intelligence and machine learning uh, again this is a this is probably an example of how organizations, want to get the most out of their data and to by developing artificial intelligence solutions whereby replicating uh, processes where uh, uh, humans would have done that in the past is seen as a, as a way of leveraging the data, of getting the most out of the data under their control. Uh, fintech, proliferation of new techno technology designed to improve the availability of financial services, you know, from payment systems through banking services, through insurance, you know, there's, there's a whole range of fintech solutions out there where people are actively thinking about how uh, things can help the customer, the stakeholder, and of course, the data implications with that. And then my final two are, well, cloud computing, um, you know, the practice of using the internet to store, manage and process the data. Um, I mean, it's at the heart of data governance, to be, to, to, to be frank. And firms are looking at cloud computing as the most cost-effective and efficient way and potentially secure way of managing their data. And my final point um, is one that we've mentioned in, in, uh, in regulatory intelligence before is around the, uh, the, the looming presence of, of big tech uh, and the largest and most dominant companies in the uh, information technology world um, being on the, you know, on the brink or at least being in the background to some of, to some of, of, of this development. So um, now, you know, firms would be foolish to think that they could leverage all of this new kit and all of this new data to their advantage if they didn't un underpin it with some form of solid foundation. Um, 
And um, as Rachel has says, that thought has not been lost on the regulators. Um, and, it, and it is something that firms need to consider in the round going forward. They do indeed. Um, we're, I'm just slightly aware of the time. Rachel, um, anything else you'd like to mention before we move on to takeaways? Um, I think that the, the point is, there's a couple of points about uh, where regulators are seeking to increase automation and uh, machine readable, machine executable uh, reporting which is going to require uh, a lot of work in terms of uh, data standards, which is happening little by little now. Uh, groups, for example, with EMIR and uh, the EMIR refit, they are doing some work around digital reporting that will require or, or some work on data standards, i.e. everybody reporting the fields in very similar, if not the same way. Uh, the Bank of England PRA has mentioned a data standards work in part of its, uh, one of the data papers it put out earlier this year. And it's something that the uh, EBA and ESMA have also been talking about. And obviously there's been this huge uh, uh, digital uh, package at the European Commission as well, which will include uh, regulatory reporting. So that's something to keep in mind. Uh, having good data, having uh, standardized data, having clean data, <laughs> is going to allow you to benefit from some of the uh, automation work that's going on both uh, on the in the private sector and in the regulatory sector and it's I, i'd say it's a slow burn but it's definitely the direction of travel in terms of of bringing down reporting costs and increasing accuracy and getting a much better picture of what's going on. And I just w wanted to pick up on one uh, point that Mike made in terms of uh, big tech getting into, uh, getting into uh, the financial services. I mean, it's, it, it's something that we're, we're seeing a lot happening already on the payment side and I think there's been some issues there, not necessarily around, um, you know, personal data, but been some issues around uh, systems and controls, you know, particularly with client onboarding and financial crime. And there's also this kind of cryptocurrency, digital currency conversation going on in the background, which... I think that's, you know, it's very early days, but it's one to watch. You know, Facebook, they tried to go ahead with their Libra currency a few years ago, which every, I think everybody recoiled in absolute horror, at least I did. Uh, you know, I mean, Facebook is a, essentially a data repository of personal information that people volunteer for an 
you know, reasons both best known to them. Now they're looking to launch a new, I think it's a stable coin called Diem, and how all that is going to work out and what kind of products and services they're going to be seeking to sell people on the back of that um, it remains to be seen. Sounds horrible. Um, <laughs> but, it, you know, I think on the social media side that Mike brought up, uh, it c comes back to something I think we've discussed on this uh, podcast before, which is um, if something's free, you are the product. And, you know, whether that's, you know, free uh, trading on a uh, neo broker app or, you know, you're facing, uh, posting pictures of your kid on Facebook, you know, that data is the product and somebody's monetizing it. And we've seen in the past that the, these big tech firms are pretty, uh, loosey goosey with it. Um, they just, you know, let people use it and crunch it and, you know, it's, it's, it's invisible to us. It doesn't seem like very real anyway. That's, that's all I have no, to say. Well, I think it's becoming more real for both regulators and governments because one of the underlying reasons why Ant Group's huge IPO was pulled um, was that the Chinese government was extremely underwhelmed by its dominant market position with regard to data. And data has become a systemic risk in its own right, which weaves us straight back to the need for knowing what you've got, how you've got it, and what you can do with it, which is data governance in, in the purest sense of that. Um, Mike, takeaways. What I mean, we've covered a huge amount of ground here. What are your particular takeaways for compliance officers here? So I think I have two. Um, um, the first one is the need for a data governance framework, um, you know, a, fr a framework that, that covers the data lifecycle from creation, use, communication, retention, retrieval, destruction, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the firms to need to be able to manage their data through this type of life cycle. Um, so, and, you know, firms must not underestimate the, 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 the level of detail that's required to develop a robust uh, data governance framework. It requires a detailed understanding of what the firm and uh, uh, what data the firm needs to operate, you know, what data is currently has stored, um, how the data is processed, why certain data is collected and, 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 and used as it is, and where the data is stored um, in what locations. So, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. There needs to be a great deal of thought given to a data governance framework. And the framework uh, to cover some particular, very briefly to cover off some particular uh, ground here and particular instances. So you need a data strategy. You know it needs to be tied into the to the uh, strategy of the firm, and that you need to articulate how data is going to play a key part in the um, in, in the organisation going forward. Organisation structure again, allocate responsibilities, um, hold people to account, make sure that things. Are happening when where they when they need to happen. Have appropriate organisational structures, um, um, uh, etc. etc. Um, policies and procedures are supporting that. Have appropriate data policies and procedures around how you create, uh, how you collect data, all the way through to how you you destroy certain types of data. Possibly using some sort of classification system in in, in the middle. 
and then the good old fashioned governance ones of, of, of monitoring and reporting. Uh, once you've got everything in place, it needs to be continually monitored and reported up, up through governance committees to the board. And very, very briefly, my final point is around regulation. Um, there has, uh, Rachel's um, attested to this uh, 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 earlier. Um, all regulators pretty much around the, the world have issued some form of data governance um, guidance. Uh, I know the Chinese did way back in 2018. As Rachel says, the EU are putting on, on statute some form of, 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 of data legislation. Uh, the UK, for its part, is coming up with its UK data strategy. Um, and the regulators in, in the UK are, 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 doing, are doing similar. Um, uh, um, and it applies to the US and, and Australia as well. Um, so please, um, when formulating your approach to data governance, please be minded that there are there almost certainly will be some form of regulation or guidance in your local area. Thank you, Mike. Rachel, takeaways from your perspective. Um, just in terms of the risk management uh, applications uh, for data governance or concerning data governance, rather, I would just, my big takeaway is pretty simple, which is go back to BCBS 239, which is the principles on risk data aggregation and reporting. Uh, go through that. I know, I know firms have done a lot of work on this since 2013. They're regularly self-assessing. But what we're seeing from the regulators tells me well, it tells everybody in pretty uncertain terms that there's more work that needs to be done here. And that, as Mike said, data, data issues haven't always been the exciting, uh, exciting project for firms, but it's something that needs ongoing attention, not just periodic attention uh, when, the, when there's a problem. I mean, that's what governance is about. It's governance, the word itself indicates a, a continuous program, not just something every now and again. Thank you very much. And I would add my own sort of tuppence into this that um, as with all forms of risk management, there really is not one size fits all with regard to data governance and controls. You have to tailor it precisely and exactly to the moving beast that is your business. Um, that said, there are some threads on data governance, as you might imagine, and I would suggest their consistency, timeliness, security and delivery of data. You need to be able to use it to undertake risk management, if nothing else. Couple of bits firms might want to consider, whether or not actually a move to a centralized approach to enterprise data architecture would work for you. That is very dependent on, I would suggest, quite a lot of investment, but it may be worth it. And or whether or not a more hybrid approach would work better for you. Now, the other bit, and, and this is a thread throughout the second series of this, this podcast, is external threats. Um, and firms also need to remember that they're going to have to build a data governance strategy that can deal with the inconsistencies and specifically the inconsistencies across an ever wider array of external data sources that the firm uses. So that's data from other firms, from vendors, from regulators. 
you are going to have to be able to weave those inconsistencies into your obviously very consistent data architecture you've got and make it work with your governance process. Huge amount of ground covered there, but thank you very much, Rachel, and thank you very much, Mike. And thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Clarified. I'm going to pop a couple of links to, into articles going into a bit more depth into the episode notes, together with the usual link for further information on Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence. Last but not least, as always, very much appreciate if you could take the time to review the podcast and please do let us know if you have any suggestions for future topics. Thank you for listening. Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence.